Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome back, everyone, to the 23rd episode of the Take the Points podcast, officially part of the Blue Wire podcast network. I'm your co-host, Tate Seth, joined as always by Arjun Menon. Got a fun show today previewing the week eight slate. But first, we're going to talk about, you know, what has been really the story of the season so far. And that's quarterback efficiency being down across the board. Uh, You know, there's been a decent amount of articles and podcasts about this very topic. So before we jump into the games, you know, we want to briefly discuss this. And, you know, Arjun... Uh, you know, I, I, I've heard you explain this many times. I, I want you to, you know, give it out to all the listeners. Like, why don't you walk us through kind of like what we were seeing in 2020 and 2021 and then like why this season has been different from like a passing game perspective? Yeah, so we kind of talked about it in, in our old in, in our earlier episodes, but I think the the way that NFL football is being played is, is kind of changing, right? The NFL is so cyclical where – you see a new offensive system and then we see a defensive system to counter it. Right. So we're in that cycle of the defensive systems kind of winning right now. Um, teams are playing a lot more cover two, cover four, cover six, a lot more too high in general. Um, you know, I've written about how like safeties are becoming more valuable, I think, because teams are employing more too high. So you need them to be both versatile and good to play the deep part of the field and um, inside the box. And honestly, like what we're seeing is just like, first of all, quarterback plays is down this year. Anytime you have Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, like not playing that well and, and having sub 500 records, Tom Brady still ranks top 10 in EPA per play, but it's not like the typical Tom Brady seasons we were normally accustomed to. And Aaron Rodgers just doesn't have anyone to throw to. So when you have those type of quarterbacks not performing well, you have the amount of O-line injuries that we've seen over the course of the season. I think everything just adds up to, first of all, passing offenses being down. And then with the rise of too high, I think that the offensive cycle that will come next is the run game. I don't know what type of run game. I don't think it's going to be something like outside zone. It could be more man and gap concepts, which is kind of what we're seeing from like the Patriots or like the Browns who do an excellent job of like getting like tight ends and guards um, on, on like counter plays and things like that. Mm-hmm. So with how much of a cycle the NFL is in, we're kind of in that stage where offenses are need to find a way to respond. The best offenses will. the Bills and the Chiefs have done a tremendous job. Other offenses which have had success the past two years might be struggling a little bit to catch up, but we're definitely in that cycle where the defense is winning this transition battle right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, that's true. You know, we've, we've seen, you know, the EPA per drop back kind of drop each year from 2020, which was the peak of passing offenses. You know, we had a 0.08 EPA per drop back that dropped to 0.04 last year. And then now it's all the way down to 0.02 this year. Uh, and, you know, rushing efficiency has stayed about the same uh, these these past couple seasons. But I do think that is the next step where, you know, we start to see the return of the run game, like you said. And, yeah, I think it's a combination of the, you know, two high safeties uh, being more prevalent. But just ever since 2020, teams realized that, you know, the, the easiest way to get beat on defense right now is by, you know, a, a, an explosive passing play, like yeah. a 40-yard passing play. So they've curated their defenses to stop these explosive passing plays. You know, you go out and you want to draft, you know, a, a safety really high like the Ravens did with Kyle Hamilton, you know, higher than they're, they're usually being taken. Or, you know, another team that's run by an analytics person in Kwesiadofa Menza at the Vikings drafting Lewis Seen. Uh, you can kind of see a transition there with, you know, how teams are getting safeties 
that stop the pass first and then stop the run second versus linebackers who usually stop the run first and then the the pass second. So we can we can see that teams are, you know, kind of moving towards this this league where they just want to stop the pass. And, you know, that's something that the Vic Vangio, Brandon Staley tree has preached so much on and like you've looked so much into. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I'm going to shout at our coworker, Kevin Cole here. He had a really cool graph that we actually showed in our weekly like football analytics meeting at Michigan. But basically it's looking at how quarterback efficiency, like the density plots from 2022 to 2021 to 2020. So what we see is that the right and left tails, so we're talking like 90th plus outcome, bottom 10 percentile outcome, they're all the same, right? Like those things will hold true for any given season. But the median, uh, you know, outcomes for quarterback play this year have significantly shifted left, right? And that's kind of what you were talking about. And again, it goes back to when your elite quarterbacks are not performing at an elite level, we're going from like at least five elite quarterbacks, tier one quarterbacks last year to only two this year, I think we can all agree on. That's, you know, it's going to impact, you know, these type of density curves, these type of just raw mean EPA per dropback type numbers that we're seeing. And, and yeah, like, I think we talk about how Brandon Staley and Vic Fangio probably have ruined NFL football work. I don't think we're getting to that stage of like baseball where, you know, everything is so like <laughs> everything, like defenses are just taking everything away from the offense. But I think right now you're seeing that explosive plays are hard and, you know, hard to come by and you can't really manufacture explosive plays through the air as well as you used to be able to. You're going to have to, you know, win by being methodical. And this is where, like, I think my hypothesis over the summer was, like, you'd rather have a yak guy than a deep speed guy because, you know, you're not – the deep speed guy, he's going to challenge the safeties. He's going to make the safeties respect him, but he's not going to, like, give you a lot of production, right? Like, it's the guys who mm-hmm. can take a pass underneath for 60 yards. I'm, I'm looking at, like, guys like Jamar Chase, right? like, who can do both. Like, those are the most valuable guys um, on NFL rosters right now, I think, especially on offense. So – you know, too high is definitely like a challenge for NFL offenses. Some teams have definitely adapted. Um, but yeah, I think we're going to have to see a fundamental shift in the way offenses are being played right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and even going away from too high and looking from the offensive perspective, like you mentioned, when you look at, you know, the top five quarterbacks uh, in according to EPA per play last year, uh, you know, there, there was like, you know, five or six quarterbacks playing at an elite level. Um, but, you know, Aaron Rodgers has fallen off this year because he lost Devontae Adams. Uh, you know, the offense isn't as well run as it used to be. Uh, Tom Brady has fallen off because, you know, his entire interior offensive line got injured. Uh, you know, he, he isn't playing as well as we're used to seeing. And then, you know, you have Matthew Stafford and Justin Herbert who were playing at very high levels last year. And they have both, you know, been in a combination of, you know, having a poor supporting cast around them, but also, you know, being in kind of like a slump this year and not being as efficient as they were last year. And so you really have Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen in that right tail, you know, like you brought up with Kevin Cole's graph. But other than that, like all these all these quarterbacks that were supposed to be, you know, tier two are, you know, still in tier two because that's like a relative ranking. But it's a lower, you know, yeah. uh, numerical ranking than, than we're used to seeing from them. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. So it's going to be pretty interesting to see how offenses adapt. You know, obviously, I think the the cream of the crop, the Chiefs and the Bills have done a great job of doing that, but they also have aliens at quarterback. So um, definitely got to going to see how the rest of the season plays out. We're only halfway through the season, but let's let's move on to our, you know, week eight preview or yeah previews. We have a, a couple games that definitely stand out to us. Let's start with your Detroit Lions, you know, at home versus the visiting Miami Dolphins. Why don't you kick us off here with with your thoughts about this game? Yeah, I'm I, I'm very curious to see how this matchup plays out. And when I was really digging into the numbers, I started to become more confident in the Dolphins getting a win here. You know, as three and a half point favorites, uh, you know, like they're expected to win, but just more confident in that in general. Um, so when when you look at what the Dolphins are doing right now, uh, you know, they get into eleven personnel on about fifty percent of their plays. Uh, so you know, it's it's pretty typical, but where they get really dangerous is when they go into 21 personnel, you know, two backs, one tight end. They usually use Alec Ingold as their, their you know, their second running back with Mozart or whoever else they have back there. And their, their EPA per play goes up when they get into to 21 personnel and they do this a decent amount of time. And, you know, when I was going through the film, you know, as a, as a film writer, you know, I was doing my duty to, to preview the Dolphins. <laughs> I saw that Alec Ingold was, 
I think one of the most important players to high profile offense that isn't being talked enough about right now, like his ability to seal the edge on blocks coming across the line of scrimmage to give Tua just enough time to hit uh, crossing routes over the middle of the field has been super crucial. And they use play action all the time out of 21 personnel. So, you know, the Dolphins are running one of the most unique offenses uh, in the league and the Lions just don't have the versatility to defend this. And, you know, like you mentioned when you went on the PFF forecast Sunday night, Tua is much better against man coverage than he is against zone. And the Lions play the third highest rate of man coverage in the league. So, you know, there is a small path for the Lions defense to do this right. Like when you, uh, when you, if if the Lions were to shut down the run game by loading the box like they did against the Cowboys, the Dolphins rank 18th in EPA per play when, you know, they're in expected pass situations when the chance is above 70% to pass. And, you know, Moser and Edmonds aren't good running backs. They're both negative and rushing yards over expected. But I just think when the Dolphins get into their scripted plays and their, you know, the pass concepts that they feel advantageous, the Lions defense won't be able to stop them. Yeah, you you pretty much took a lot of what I was going to say. Um, I, I am pretty concerned about this Lions defense in this matchup. I think it's, you know, I didn't expect the Lions to be playing this much man heading into the season, right? Like, it's like Aaron Glenn doesn't really come from like a man heavy scheme or in New Orleans, Dennis Allen, he mixes it up man and zone, but like, it seems like they're playing the Patricia scheme without Patricia, Mm -hmm. which is, which is kind of weird, but I I am worried and curious to see what their game plan is. Cause like, you can't really stick Okuda who's like what six one on like five, 10 Tyreek. Like he's just not going to be able to keep up with him. Right. Like, I mean, Oruwarie, who was a breakout guy last year, he's not even on the field anymore for the Lions, right? So there's going to be some interesting matchups there. On the flip side, you know, the Lions offense, I think there is a little bit of cause for for concern in this game. Um, you know, Jared Goff versus the Blitz, he has like a bottom 10 EPA and he has like a bottom three, like raw PFF grade versus mm-hmm. um, versus the Blitz. As we know, you know, Josh Boyer loves to send the house on, on a lot of plays. Um, and, you know, because the Lions offense don't, I don't think they'll have DeAndre Swift. Like, they won't be as explosive as they, they normally were to start the season. I am kind of worried about how, like, I'm kind of worried about their ability to move the ball consistently down the field against a, a, a Dolphins defense that's playing better than it has at the, in the start of the season. Um, and, you know, with Amon, is Amonra playing in this game? Do you know that? I, I, I believe he is. He hasn't been, he's been at practice in like a no contact jersey. So I think he should be okay. able to go, but we still don't know yet. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like with the Dolphins defense, you definitely want to attack them through the air. They definitely have one of the better uh, rushing defenses in the NFL with Christian Wilkins, Melvin Ingram, Emmanuel Ogba, like all, uh, Zach, uh, Zach Sealer on the inside. But I don't, I don't really know if I trust Goff to kind of win this game with his arm, right? And this is kind of like a preview into one of our bets I'm, I'm you know, that I'm going to give out. But I, I am worried about this matchup for the Lions on both sides of the ball, especially in the passing game, which is, you know, as we know, kind of what wins games in the NFL. Yeah, no, I, I, I do see the, the, you know, Dolphins offense versus Lions defense. But I am cautiously optimistic about the Lions offense versus the Dolphins defense. Uh, you know, like, I think the Lions offensive line is really good where you want to be good on the offensive line at the tackles and at center uh, with Frank Ragnow and like Jalen Phillips and Melvin Ingram, you know, the two primary pass rushers for the Dolphins rank 22nd and 38th in pressure percentage respectively. So, well, yeah. that's like an, you know, an okay ranking. I don't think that they'll be able to get past, you know, Taylor Decker and uh, Penny Sewell uh, often and you know if if they do and they get pressure in golf like you mentioned like it's the game will pretty much be over for the lions but the dolphins have quietly ranked 27th in epa uh per drop back against and they rank sixth yeah. in epa per rot or you know epa per rush against so i don't think the lions are gonna be able to run the ball in this game uh that much so you know it's gonna put golf in these you know a, a high you know uh rate usage rate game for him that's where things could get out of hand but you know, I do think the Lions will be pa- will be able to pass against the Dolphins in you know some some form uh, throughout most of the game, but you know in in typical Lions fashion, I'm sure it'll fall apart at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's funny. Like you and me are you know big fans of the teams we root for. It's just like we always we always think more negatively, I think, than the average yeah. fan. But it's not that we think negatively. I just think we we think realistically of like what's actually going to happen. Because like that's, I think what you, you kind of say, like what I say about the Chargers, like eventually it all comes to fruition. 
um, at some point. Yeah. And but, but yeah, it, yeah, we're pessimistic fans, but like, I think a lot of our friends are optimistic fans and you need that balance, right? You yeah. can't just have oh, two yeah. pessimistic fans or two optimistic fans. Like it's good to have one and the other. And I think yeah. we, we've found that with, uh, with a lot of the people <laughs> we talk to about our teams. Yeah, agreed, agreed. All right, let's move on to another game, Cardinals-Vikings. I think this one's an interesting game. Spread is, I believe, Vikings minus three, potentially minus three and a half. So, um, you know, I, I'll start us off here. I think the Vikings are are one of the more fraudulent teams in the NFL right now. I think, like, their record isn't really indicative of, like, how they've played as a team, right? Five and one. But you look at some of their victories, barely scraped one out against the Bears. They were losing by one, entering the fourth. You know, they should have lost to you, you know, your Lions. Um, I'm sure you can, you know, agree with that. They should have lost to the Saints, right? Like, we're really talking about, like, a two or three win team here that's five and one. And, you know, I, I think part of it is just Justin Jefferson is is truly, like, the best or one of the best receivers in the NFL. He kind of propped up this offense. And the thing with the Cardinals is they love to do two things. They, they love to blitz and they love to show, like, a lot of, like, exotic looks, right? And if there's one thing Kirk Cousins has been absolutely horrendous on, this season it's been his play versus the blitz right like he shows up near the bottom in his passing grade versus the blitz shows up as a bottom five quarterback in epa versus the blitz and that's that's what he's going to see a lot of versus vance joseph now there's also times where i was watching that saints game vance joseph likes to line up seven or eight guys in the box right like show that uh nickel double a gap look like the the mug look right and he'll drop guys back into the coverage so in that case, you know, Kirk is going to be looking for Jefferson right off the bat. But if the if the Cardinals drop the two linebackers, it's not like Jefferson is going to be open because he's going to be running into two guys, you know, playing those hook zones or whatever. So I am a little bit worried about the the Vikings in this in this game, just because I think Kirk's struggle versus the Blitz is going to be kind of put on television in this game. And I don't really know if they have a good counter for it if, if Jefferson you know, doesn't really get open. And to be in, in our successful coverage over expected, expected metric, we built at PFF, like Byron Murphy is showing up very well and he showed up well for his entire career. Right. So I think he is becoming one of the better cornerbacks in the league. He won't get as much recognition, but I think those are just like my big, like takeaways from that, uh, from that game. Mm -hmm. I, I love the point about the blitz. And like, when you kind of look at the, you know, the underlying stats behind the Vikings right now, uh, you know, they're, they're 14th in EPA per drop back and they're 15th EPA per rush. So like their offense is, you know, slightly above average against those things. But if they were to fix, you know, with the problems that they've been seeing against the blitz this year, you know, we saw it on full display, uh, you know, in the Eagles Monday night game in week two where Kirk wasn't able to, to handle the blitz. And like, you know, while they're able to move down the field at times, if you blitz him enough, he'll he'll make a mistake. So I, I really like you bringing that up. Uh, on the other side of the ball, you know, I think, you know, Kyler Murray against zone this year has had a, a positive EPA per pass. And yeah. then against man coverage, he's had a negative EPA per pass. And so this is just passing, right? Like against man, he can, um, you know, he can take off and run more often than he does against zone. But the Vikings play the second most zone coverage in the league. And I think this is especially prevalent when you get DeAndre Hopkins back. And, you know, what we saw from DeAndre Hopkins against the Saints uh, where he has brought back the intermediate passing game for the Cardinals, I think is going to be pretty crucial. And, you know, you like to say like a, a go get a bucket receiver. Yeah. And that's what Hopkins is exactly. to his offense. And he slides everyone down a spot, like we've mentioned, where, you know, now Hollywood Brown can become the wide receiver too. Instead of being when the he wide comes receiver back one. from yeah, injury. Yeah, when he comes back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and like, yeah, not for this game specifically, but just like what, what he'll do for the offense and like what he already did on Thursday. I think could be pretty big. So you know, I'm, I'm curious to see how the the Vikings defense handles Hopkins there, especially in, in those, you know, 10 to 15 air yard areas. But I think Zadarius Smith, you know, like it was, it was a great signing by the, the Vikings this, this off season. And the, the Cardinals offense line is really bad. Uh, you know, from pass blocking perspective, they haven't performed well. And Zadarius Smith is, um, you know, seventh in, you know, the entire uh, NFL and pressure rate right now. So I think that could be something that holds back the Cardinals offense. But other than that, like, I, I do think I, I like the, the Cardinals offense with the slight advantage against the, uh, the Vikings defense as well. Yeah. I think the one thing with this game is like, we st we're still like not, or I don't really know how to price in Deandre Hopkins being back. 
obviously had a 10 catch 100 yard game in his first game back but he was going up against a very 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 banged up Saints secondary they were starting chris harris jr out outside corner right like they're his performance was like that that's kind of what you want to see but that's that was like kind of the expectation for me um like that he would put on a show versus chris harris jr so i think you know this will be a good test the viking secondary isn't that great as you know compared to their pass rush and you know again the big like takeaways from this game is like how kirk is going to be able to handle the blitz and you know how much of an impact justin jefferson's going to have if you know he's faced up on byron murphy which i don't think that should be that much of an issue but you know the cardinals have um you know they can they can do their best to try and slow um, Jefferson down the best they can. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I do think the the maybe the difference in this game if you know you you're trying to put together something for the Vikings winning is just the difference in receiving talent right now because like Jefferson Hopkins you know Jefferson gets a slight lean there but then like the secondary receivers that the Vikings have compared to the Cardinals would be the uh, the difference. But wait, guys, I I want to say unpopular opinion though like that's not related to this game but like. The Kyler Murray video game jokes aren't funny anymore. Like I like <laughs> on Thursday night, like everyone was making Kyler Murray video game jokes like on Twitter yeah. all the time. Like they were really funny, like, you know, when the contract was announced, like way back when and like throughout the rest of the offseason. Like I feel like they've been so overused now that like I I just I just don't find them funny anymore. I don't know if that's like a like a grumpy old man take to to put out there, but I don't know. I was just a thought I have. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. It's like it's like all those other takes where like it just like the like the Russell Wilson stuff like I'm, I'm kind of over it now like we've we've seen the let's ride for for six seven weeks like he's injured like let's give the man a break uh obviously like I don't have like a rooting or non-rooting interest against him but you know it's like at some point it just gets old right like we've seen we've seen enough memes and things like that so I you know I, I do hope Kyler like puts on a show and, and kind of gets back to his MVP level with DeAndre Hopkins um you know, and I, you know, I don't really care much for the Call of Duty takes or really, you know, factor that into my my analysis. But let's move on to a good, a pretty interesting divisional game. It's going to be pretty boring, I think. But Patriots Jets, um, Jets coming off four straight wins. By the way, I don't know if you know this, Tage. the The Jets have beaten Brett Ripien, Aaron Rodgers, Skylar Thompson, and Kenny Pickett in four straight weeks. Um, you know, this is a top. This is the third best team in the AFC and according to ESPN is a top 10 team in the NFL <laughs> right now. Um, but, but yeah, the, the, the Patriots are right now kind of reeling from a really bad loss versus the Bears. something that, you know, unless you're like a diehard Bears fan, a diehard Bears fan, you probably didn't see coming, but I think this is a game we, we kind of see Valachek dig deep into his back. He's kind of got embarrassed on national television and he's going to have the Patriots players in absolute hell this week. Um, Zach Wilson against Bill Belichick in his career, you know, sub 50 PFF grade. I think he has like like 400 passing guards, two interceptions, zero picks, like three turnover worthy plays. Like he has not been good versus Bill Belichick. Um, And like Bill Belichick does to young quarterbacks, like he usually puts them in the blender. And I think that's something we see with uh, the Jets this weekend. I think the other point is, you know, the – the Patriots like running game. I think that was like the big thing that like took pressure off of Bailey Zappi, right? And assuming that Mac Jones starts, but I think the run game actually has to get going for the Patriots. Like we're, we've been talking, we started the episode off talking about how the run game matters now, and especially for a quarterback like Mac Jones, like he's fine, but like he's not going to be a type of quarterback that can like sustain a high usage rate, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's where you need Ramondre Stevenson and Damian Harris, who I don't think is playing, but if he is playing, like he should get some touches, like to help take the pressure off of Mac Jones um, because, you know, the Jets secondary is amazing. Like they sauce Gardner and Michael Carter both show up in like the top 30 of our successful coverage over expected metric. They've been playing lights out DJ reads, you know, in the positive there. So I don't think they're going to really be able to attack the jets through the air. And it's going to have to be a lot through the ground, which I'm not too sure how well they're going to do against a pretty stout jets defense a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I do think it'll it'll be Mac Jones that that gets the start this week and like you know I I just thought it was weird how like that that game against the Bears I thought like it might have been like off putting for the whole team that they just you know gave Mac Jones such a short leash and pulled him after three drives and like it was a rare yeah. mistake by by Bill Belichick like because last year he didn't make this mistake when he chose Mac Jones over Cam Newton he you know Cam Newton would have been a great backup quarterback there a great locker room guy. But you don't want your starting quarterback looking over his shoulder all the time 
So you get rid of Cam Newton and you just, you know, you put, you put your full support into Mac Jones and like on Monday night, he just didn't do that. And, you know, I think it might've thrown off the whole team that, you know, Jones just got yanked and Zappy came in and, um, and, and like the, the play calling difference between Zappy, like they need to call the Bailey Zappy offense with Mac Jones. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, our, our friend yards after contact uh, at after underscore yards on Twitter was, was putting out, you know, a really good thread about this. And he said that, you know, the play calling has been Zappy has had the 27th ranked average depth of target in the NFL and then also had a 27% play action rate while Mac Jones has had the second ranked average depth of target. So he's attempting a lot more deep passes, a lot more difficult, but and only 11.7% play action. So you can see like the difference between how Matt Patricia, Joe Judge, Bill Belichick, whoever's calling the offense is treating Bailey Zappi versus Mac Jones. And I think if they call the Zappi offense with Jones, the Patriots offense could see a decent amount of success in this game. Yeah, no, I agree. I think the the biggest thing was like they called like 17 or they called play action just a way, way more for Bailey Zappi, you know, at least like 15% more for Zappi than they did for Mac Jones. And as we know, play action is kind of like a cheat code for quarterbacks. Usually averages a higher EPA for dropback than non-play action snaps. I think the the other angle for this game is like how is Zach Wilson going to be able to handle the the Patriots, right? Like I think the, the Patriots pass rush is is pretty good. Like they rank 11th in pressure rate this year. Uh, Matthew Judon ha- is leading the league in sacks. Like he's having a career year. Zach Wilson, you know, if you haven't figured it out by now, he's literally the worst quarterback under pressure in the entire NFL. This we talked about this last week, but just to make sure my my point gets across, this year Matt, uh, Zach Wilson he ranks uh, second to last in uh, passing grade from uh, passing grade under pressure. He's five of 31. So a 16.1% completion percentage for 54 yards, two interceptions, six turnover worthy plays. Right. And like usually like a well-coached Patriots team will take advantage of them, of those mistakes. Um, and it's not like Zach Wilson is as mobile as Justin Fields. So even if Wilson gets under pressure, I don't think he's going to have the same type of success fields did at evading that pressure. And I think it's going to be pretty, it's going to be pretty tough for the Jets to kind of like overcome what Belichick's going to throw at them. Because again, when Belichick loses, like he has one of those like Nick Saban type games, the next game where he just like completely gets into his bag and shuts the mm-hmm. other team up. Alabama kind of like took over or uh, took down Mississippi State in like a convincing fashion. I think we kind of see that in this game with, with Belichick's defense. Now, again, we've talked about the offense. I don't really know what this offense is going to look like because we had a lot of praise for Patricia, Patricia and Judge um, in the past couple of weeks, but they didn't have a great showing against a pretty like mediocre defense in the Bears. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah. On, on the, you know, Patriots defense side of things, you know, when, when you look at like how the Patriots have performed against different types of quarterbacks this year, um, you know, the only three teams have had a, uh, you know, or sorry, only two teams have had a, you know, above zero point zero five EPA per play against them, which is considered like a good offensive performance. That's been the Baltimore Ravens and the Chicago Bears. And those, you know, offenses specialize in mobile quarterbacks. Uh, the Bears, you know, especially lean into the design run game, uh, scrambling, all that stuff. While when they've played pocket passers like Mitchell Trubisky week two or Jared Goff week five or Jacoby Brissett week six, those were some of the worst offensive performances of the season for those teams. So Zach Wilson does have some mobility, but he doesn't have, you know, what Fields or Lamar have. So that's why I think the Patriots defense can take advantage of them. And, you know, if you're the Jets, you have to get Zach Wilson out of the pocket as much as possible. Like, you know, heavy boots, uh, you know, even use them on some design runs if you can, you know, give him opportunities to scramble, opportunities to not have to, you know, stand in the pocket with pressure and throw the ball into coverage. And I think the Jets could actually be okay in that, but that's a tough ask to really change your whole offense, you know, within, within a week of, prep to, to get ready for this Patriots defense. Yeah, agreed. All right, another divisional game, 49ers versus the Rams. Um, kind of a rematch from a couple of weeks ago. And, like, let's let's think about what, you know, has transpired since uh, both these teams played a couple of weeks ago, right? Like, Niners trade for Christian McCaffrey. They get Trent Williams back. Um, they're still pretty banged up on defense, but the Rams are also pretty banged up on their side. Lost Joseph Noteboom for the entire season, which kind of sucks. The, the Niners' D-line completely dominated the Rams' offensive line in their first matchup, right? Mm-hmm. And now you, you're 
having the Niners play them again without the Rams starting left tackle, which I think is a, is a huge, huge problem for, you know, for the Rams. So Niners right now currently rank fifth or they rank fourth in pressure rate in the NFL on um, this season. And again, I don't really know like how this game is going to play out because like, I feel like McVay's had enough time. Like he was, he was on a bye last week. So he's had time to kind of study this Niners defense, see what the chiefs did to attack them. And I, you know, hopefully for, at least for your sake, for Stafford's sake, you know, they find a way to kind of overcome a pretty good Niners defense, which with, with a pretty good defensive line, but I am pretty concerned about the the Rams like offensive line in general and like how bad it's been this season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know the the Rams have the the twenty ninth um, you know pass blocking grade uh, according to to PFF, and that's why I think the Forty ers are such a bad matchup for them. Um, you know, because the the Forty ers can get home with four pass rushers if they have to, and then yeah. you know what really the only thing that stumped the Rams last year was getting home with three pass rushers and like the tight end Sunday night game. Uh, where the, the Rams, you know, didn't didn't score a touchdown until garbage time was like a good example of that. And the 49ers can do that as well. And so that's why I don't think, you know, it's going to be really tough for the Rams to move the ball in this game because they, they, they don't run the ball well and the 49ers have a really good run defense. And then you put the Rams into high expected pass situations, uh, you know, second and 10, um, you know, third and long. Yeah. Like all that stuff. And then the Rams have literally been the worst offense in the entire NFL in high expected pass situations, because what worked for them last year in these situations was seven step drop backs and over three seconds to throw so that Stafford could find cup or Odell Beckham, you yeah. know, on the front side, backside concepts this year, they don't have the offensive line to get into that. And they don't have the guy, like they only have Cooper cup to throw to. So it's like a combination of all those things I think is going to make it a really long day for the Rams offense in this game. The other the other angle here. So in my stunt rate over expected metric that I've built out, the Niners currently have the third highest stunt rate over expected in the NFL. The Rams have the fourth lowest perfectly blocked rate versus stunts. So there was like one play in that Rams Niners game where Nick Bosa was just coming off a stunt completely untouched. The, the Rams just have not been able to handle these like basic stunts, basic twists that they've been able to handle in the past with veteran guys like Austin Blythe or Andrew Whitworth. So if the Niners continue mm-hmm. to stunt overexpected at the rate they're doing it at, and you know the Rams don't have their starting left tackle that they've had all offseason, I think it's going to be a big problem in the trenches. Um, and yeah, like if, if the Niners are continuously forcing the the Rams into these third and long expected pass situations, I I don't really feel good about the Rams' chances going into this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I feel the way – yeah, that's a great point about stun over expected. Um, and then, like, yeah, on the, on the other side of the ball, the Rams aren't scoring. You know, if they only put up, you know, 13 to 20 points, like somewhere in between. Devo Samuel Wool is, like, the Rams' kryptonite these past yeah. couple of games. And, like, in every single Rams 49ers game, he's turned uh, a play where he should have been tackled two or three times into a touchdown, you know, from, like, midfield onward. So I, I could see that happening again, and that could kind of like blow open the game for the 49ers to, to kind of take take the hold of the, the path that the, the Rams have in this game is, you know, you have a massive Cooper Cup day that takes, you know, advantage yeah. of some of the injuries that, that the, um, the 49ers are seeing. And then you, you throw enough stuff coming out of the bye at Jimmy Garoppolo that, you know, kind of throws him off where he can't hit, you know, these open receivers that, that'll be running across the field for them but you know that's that's asking for a lot so so we'll see yeah. if it plays out that way yeah all right two more games let's start off with this the matchup of the two most surprising teams in the nfl the six and one giants the four and three seahawks um you know i i would say two guys that i would be comfortable kind of like talking about as a coach of the year candidate right in brian dable and uh, pete carroll um you know dable so the thing with dable is like last year the um, the Giants offense was really, really bad under Joe Judge and uh, Jason Garrett, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, but this year, you know, the Giants offense is much better. So last year, they're averaging a negative 0.138 EPA per play. This year, 0.074. And of all the rookie coaches, he has the highest like improvement on his side of the ball. So the Giants offense has improved uh, their EPA by 0.212 like expected points, which is like really, really impressive. Right. And now. They kind of go into the Seahawks game off a pretty a solid win against the Jags. I wouldn't say it was anything too special, but the Seahawks defense, like Loki, has been playing pretty well. 
right? They only allowed the Cardinals to score three po- offensive points, and they only allowed the Chargers to score 14 offensive points. And, like, those are, like, two of the better offenses in the league. Like, I know the Chargers are, like, really, really banked up, but the Seahawks offense has been – or Seahawks defense has been playing really well. I just don't know if, you know, they're able to – kind of like withstand the law withstand the loss of DK Metcalf because like for someone like Gino like he can find the open guy I think very well but when you take away like one of his two really really good receivers um I think the Giants especially with how much they blitz can just eliminate the one guy and force Gino to beat him beat them through like Noah Fan and like Colby Parkinson or and, you know their uh, Marquise Goodwin which is it's kind of like a recipe for disaster mm-hmm. yeah you know I think like the, the Giants play, you know, one of the most unique defenses in the NFL. Like, they, they play the most man coverage in the league. And then, you know, classic Wink Martindale defense, they blitz on 45% of plays. And, like, you know, it's, it's funny to see that, like, he, he had the, the players to do that with the Ravens for many years. And you can just see, like, that philosophy just carries over, even if you have different types of players with the Giants. Um, so, yeah, you know, with without DK, like, Geno Smith is ranked first in EPA for pass against man coverage, but right. without, without DK, like, I think if, if this injury, like, like, you know, takes him out, you know, for multiple weeks, like that, that'll change because receivers control their uh, production against man coverage and then quarterbacks control, you know, the offense's production against zone more. So it'll, it'll be really interesting to, to see, you know, how, how that kind of plays out. But I do think that, you know, what, what like the giants do, where they can just hang around long enough to kind of like hope variance breaks their way is something that we can see play out in this game because, you know, like the Seahawks lead the league in yards per carry right now. Giants have the highest yards per carry allowed in the league. So like that matchup right there shows that like it could be a big Kenneth Walker day. But when you're like, we talked about the beginning of the show, passing uh, has gone down, but passing is still more efficient than running. So even though it might be a big Kenneth Walker day, uh, you know, leaning on the run and having a good day out of the, the run game will only put you up one score going into the fourth quarter. And so I'm curious to see if Brian Dable, you know, the best fourth quarter close game coach of all time <laughs> might be able to to pull another one out, you know, as, as that situation occurs. Yeah, I think that, that's a great point. Uh, Walker, it's going to be a great running back day, honestly, like Walker and mm-hmm. Barkley going up against each other. Um, it's it's tough. Like I know we don't, we both don't have a bet on this game, but do you think the Seahawks should be favored in this game? Because they're like the books are basically implying the Seahawks are better on a neutral field than the Giants. I I do think so because again, like the the advanced metrics, you know, nothing has been fluky about Geno Smith's performances mm-hmm. this year, but there has been some flukiness about you know the Giants' offensive performances. Um, and then like again, like. I trust more, you know, I trust Geno more in like a pure drop back system than I would with Daniel Jones because like the Giants are doing everything they can to kind of cover up some of Daniel Jones' uh, flaws. So I, I, yeah. I do think I would lean Seahawks there because of uh, the quarterback advantage. Yeah. If we, if we end this game with like the Giants going into the fourth quarter with a sub 50 win probability and they still win, it's just going to be, <laughs> it's just going to be pandemonium in, in New York. But, but let, let's move on to, you know, the, the Monday night game. And I'm actually, we're going to break some news here, Tage. I don't know if you have been on Twitter, but but I got a text. Jamar Chase is now out four to six weeks for the Wait, Bengals. Oh, oh, wow. Oh, that's crazy. I didn't even know he got injured yeah. in, the, so, in the last week's game. It was sometime in the third or fourth quarter where the Bengals were up by like 20 and they still had Chase in for some reason. And he hurt his hip. And apparently the reports are like he went to see some specialists and they recommended he sit out for four to six weeks. So, look, we've talked extensively in the offseason, weeks two, weeks like four and five, about how this Bengals offense suffers a significant drop-off when it doesn't have Higgins and Chase and Boyd on the field. Now, losing Chase is much more detrimental to this offense than losing Higgins. Why? Mm -hmm. Because Higgins doesn't have the propensity for big plays as Chase does. Both of them can establish or both of them can win through the air. Like both of them can catch 60 yard passes where the ball travels 40 yards in the air. It's them winning a one-on-one go route like T Higgins did versus um, Xavier Howard on Thursday night football and Jamar Chase did against like Jalen Ramsey in the Super Bowl. Both of them can do that. What Higgins can't do is take an 11 yard curl and turn that into a 50 yard touchdown, 40 yards of yak, right? Like that is while he does show up very well in yards uh, above catch over expected, He's not the type of guy that can like bust a big play on a screen or like that type of play. 
So my handicap for this game, like I wasn't going to bet the Bengals or the Browns because I, I thought it could go either way. But my kind of thought for this game is the, the Browns are typically like not that bad of an, a defense, right? Like they show up 30, so they're 31st in EPA per play, but they're 16th in success rate allowed, mm. which means one thing they're on a per play basis, they're league average. But in terms of their efficiency at stopping offenses overall, they suck because they give up too many explosive plays. And as we know, explosive plays are like the most important play in football because you turn, you know, you, you can just score instantly, right? So if the, if the Bengals don't have chase, it kind of changes the way the Browns should be playing this Bengals offense, right? Like now you can really just play too high and shade your safeties and play more quarter, quarter, half towards Higgins side. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not worried about the Bengals' fourth receiver. Like, Boyd is fine. Hurst is fine. But Higgins is the guy, right? And I think Denzel Ward should be back from his concussion. So, now you only have one receiver to worry about. I am very curious to see how this game plays out now with Chase Allen. Yeah. No, yeah. You, I mean, yeah, you nailed that. Like, the, the Browns have struggled this year on defense because of, you know, what's happened in with, with giving up explosive plays and – um, and then like the high leverage situations, like getting off the field on third down. And then like Chase was that, you know, explosive play guy and converting the sticks on third down receiver. So I thought it was a really good matchup for the Bengals when we were prepping for this game without news of this injury. And now it, you know, becomes really flipped because Chase is, you know, a top five most important offensive player uh, to his uh, team that's not a quarterback in the entire league because not only is he a great receiver but the entire offensive philosophy is designed around what he can do and so taking him away from this game and like you mentioned like if Denzel Ward is back putting him on Higgins instead of you know having to have him on chase completely changes the math for the Browns as they would have you know minus advantages in every situation and now you can get plus advantages in every situation where your corner one becomes on their wide receiver two and yeah. everything, you know, kind of slots in uh, from that. So this is this, yeah, this is a this is going to be a huge change uh, for like what the Bengals' offense has to do. And you know, I gave Zach Taylor a lot of credit, you know, last week for changing into a very pass-heavy shotgun-based offense. And you know, without your best receiver, you might want to go back into bringing you know an extra tight end onto the field if you have to and you know maybe they go into running the ball more and then you start doing all these suboptimal things and it's a butterfly effect from there so it'll be super interesting to see how the the Bengals uh you know kind of handle this going into the Monday night game yeah and on the flip side of the ball like I think the Browns are just extremely banged up in general like the Bengals losing chase is huge but the Browns are like really really banged up David Njoku is going to be out four to six weeks like you know, the one saving grace of this Browns team is their run game. Like Nick Chubb is still the best running back in the NFL. Um, mm. There is some concern from my end about the Bengals run defense. No DJ reader. who's one of the best nose tackles in the NFL. I don't think Logan Wilson's going to play. And he's one of their better run defenders. Like are you know, of the Bengals people I see come across my timeline. Everyone was like really, really like not happy when he got announced out. So if the Browns can kind of like establish the run, um, just get Nick Chubb going, get him like 20 carries, 100 plus yards, because you know he's going to average at least four or five yards a carry. I think that should be helpful in, t- in them, like controlling the game, because you don't want to be putting Brissett in these expected pass situations. Like you want to let him play from ahead where, um, you know, play action be, should be a little bit more effective. I guess the problem with the Browns is they also blow a lot of leads, as we've seen in, in past past games. So it's it's a tough one, man. Like I think losing chase should move the spread from Bengals minus three and a half to like minus two and a half, maybe minus three. Cause he is worth at least half a win. And, you know, he might be, he might be worth even more than that if we're being honest. But yeah, no, I, I, I do think, um, yeah, he's, he's worth around, you know, half a point to a point. Um, but yeah, no, I, 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 on the, on the, on the Brown side of the ball, you know, you just need to, um, you know, you need to see like how Jacoby Brissett, has done in like the fourth quarter high leverage situations to know that the expected pass stuff that you mentioned hasn't been mm-hmm. good for them this year. But like the, the Browns are like a good football team. That's like better than their record. And yeah. you know, that's because of their, their run game so far this year. And like, they still rank eighth overall in, in EPA per play. And so like when, when you have that type of offense, you know, you can start to like get some variance to go your way. And like, if that starts in this game, like it, it you know, it could be something that really helps them going forward. Um, You know, especially as they, get closer to getting their actual starting quarterback back uh, in the offense. 
Yeah, I totally agree. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, let's transition into our bets. Um, as a review, you know, we, we're back to fade TTP. Bet of the week loses <laughs> last week. The, I mean, the Patriots were just a, a mess. I, I'm not going to even you know, try to review that game, but... Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna kick it off. I like Titans first quarter money line minus one minus two. So interestingly enough, this Titans Tyson spread is like minus one and a half full game, and I think that's priced in because Tannehill isn't expected to play. But if you ask me, like I like low key like this Titans first quarter play more with Malik Willis. So Titans are first in the NFL about like a decent margin on scripted plays. As we all know, Todd Downing is an absolute wizard. He scored at least like a field goal in every single first quarter of the Titans games this year. The Texans are bottom five in scripted play EPA. So, you know, that's why, like, if you don't want to take, like, this first quarter minus one, which is what I'm going to give it out at, at, like, plus money, you can just take the money line, and if the Titans don't score, we we push the bet. Um, actually, I'm just going to give it out as Titans first quarter money line. But mm-hmm. I like it without Ryan Tannehill because I don't think the Texans will be ready for Malik Willis. Like, you're not going to mm-hmm. be – like, you're going to have no film on him for the regular season – Todd Downing's going to have a whole week to kind of prep his read option stuff on the first drive, right? And, like, even regardless if the Titans don't score in that first drive, like, they've normally, like, gotten the ball back pretty quickly if they don't score in the first drive. So, I like Titans' first quarter money line. Um, and even without Tannehill, I don't know if the Texans will be ready for Malik Willis with, you know, kind of just limited preseason tape on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I like this pick a lot because, you know, the the Texans' best players on their defense are their their cornerbacks. and and their safeties. And so, yeah, when I, I, I don't want a Malik Willis, you know, read option with Derrick Henry. I need it. Like, I need to see this. And, like, I think that could come out in the first quarter. So I, I do like the Titans in that spot. That's a, that's a really good bet. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go back to the team that, you know, kind of, kind of lost us our lock of the week last week. But, you know, we, we, we're very forgiving around here. And we can take, you know, Patriots minus one and a half against the New York Jets. And, you know, everything that we talked about, um, you know, in, in the game preview holds true here. You know, Patriots defense has been really good against quarterbacks who aren't insane, you know, top five rushing quarterbacks in the league. And, you know, I think there's a psychological effect um, from, you know, Mike LaFleur in this game where like the drop off from Brees Hall to James Robinson or to Michael Carter Jr. is something, but it's not super significant. But when you lose your best rusher as a play caller, who, you know, wanted him uh, in the draft, that is like something that I think, you know, you feel less trustworthy in, in your rushing offense. And your rushing offense has won you, you know, these, these past couple of games from an offensive perspective. And then, yes, Zach Wilson, you know, worst quarterback in the NFL under pressure and the Patriots get pressure on 35% of snaps, which is eighth best, and the Jets lost their best offensive lineman. So, you know, I, I, I do like the Patriots to take advantage of, the, the Jets this week and you know if you, if you we, we try to be numbers based but if you want to throw in the uh what Bill Belichick did to you know his players at practice this week after embarrassing him on national television angle like that could be something too that that helps with the bet yeah Jets, Jets have done a good job this season winning me some money winning you know a couple of PFF guys some money but this is the I think this is the game where we start to see Zach Wilson finally exposed for the bad quarterback that he is so definitely on board with that play um, I'm going to go with Dolphins minus three and a half as my bet. Um, I, this was minus three and I did, I did bet it at minus three. And again, this is like kind of the, the pitfalls of betting the site in the week, you know, you kind of like lose those key numbers, but I, I still do like it a little bit at three and a half, even the Lions, you know, scare and backdoor cover this, but we kind of already hand out our outlined our handicap for this in the first game preview of this episode. But I think just if the Lions, expecting the Lions to come out and play a ton of man Tyreek and Waddle are going to do their thing versus man like I don't think very highly of two as a quarterback but no one's you know Tyreek and Waddle are going to have so much yards of separation that it's going to be hard for Tua to miss them um Mike McDaniel is is has done pretty well in scripted plays and um you know he should get the Dolphins out to a quick like 7-0 10-0 lead and even though the Lions do a pretty good job of coming back in these games I think we could see Goff not have that great of a game versus a Dolphins defense that likes to blitz a lot. 
So even though the Dolphins are on the road and it's kind of past that key number of three, I still do think there's a little bit of value in the Dolphins in the spot just because I don't I don't really fully buy into this Lions offense versus the Blitz, and I don't really think the Lions defense is going to have a a good day versus a pretty explosive uh, Dolphins passing attack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I do like that bet, but yeah, this is why it's, you know, tough to give out uh, bets on the Friday show, um, yeah. you know, instead of when you should be taking these on, you know, Monday morning, uh, because like the Dolphins, yeah, opened up as, as one and a half. So like this is still probably the right angle to play in this game, but that would have been a lot better to, to get them, you know, low uh, compared to where they are now. Um, I'm going to also give out, you know, one of the, the games that we talked about and that's Cardinals money line. Um, you know, our friend Judah Fortgang, who has had a uh, 111% return on investment this year with the bets he's given out, gave out Cardinals uh, alternate line minus five and a half um, on PFF.com. So, you know, be sure to, to go check those out. He's been absolute nails on those this year. And, you know, this is because like the Cardinals offense is changing. Uh, you know, DeAndre Hopkins is playing. He played 27 snaps in the slot uh, last week, which is 17 more than he's ever had in a game with the Cardinals. Uh, and then, like, everything else we talked about, the Vikings play zone, you know, second highest rate in the league, and Kyler Murray has done well against zone this year. And then the the Cardinals blitz at the third highest rate in the league, and, you know, uh, Kirk Cousins is bottom five against the blitz. So, you know, I, I, I could see all of these things kind of compounding together for the uh, Cardinals to, to get this win here. So you can find the money line plus 160 at BetMGM, DraftKings, wherever, wherever you bet. Boom. There we go. Four bets. What do we what do we think of our locker of the week? So, um, I, I don't really want to make like a first quarter better locker of the week, even though I feel pretty confident about that. I I'm totally fine going back to the well with the Patriots. I think I think that's a you know if if they fail us twice, then we've lost all hope in Bill Belichick. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I like that I like too. That. Let's let's make that the lock of the week. All right, bet of the week: Patriots minus one and a half. Go get that in, or you know, fade us if you if you dare. But uh, that that's gonna be our week eight review, our preview. I hope you guys enjoyed. Um, stay tuned for potential Twitter spaces sometime in the future with me and Tage, where we could have guests on, and you know, you guys will be able to interact with us as we record a live episode, or if we're just you know talking in general. But really excited for you know what's to come in the future. And until next time, on take the points. So